can hear me okay. Good. It's got to be a first. The tottering podium. No, it probably didn't start this morning. It'll last, won't it? It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be uh, with you, fellowshipping with you. Um, I am sorry about the bad news you received this morning. I know some of you were um, really looking forward to being able to vote on Pastor West. Um, Pastor West is a good friend. I've known him a long time, and he is a good man. And I really believe that he's going to do what God wants him to do. That doesn't help us sometimes in our distress, does it? Um, we're listening some this morning, and people were talking about how uh, they were so excited about him coming and feeling like it was such a lock. And I'm going to tell you, I, I was with you there. I could not imagine um, that he would do anything but get a great vote and that he would be coming here. But um, sometimes things don't work out. Um, matter of fact, I was, uh, when we were listening, um, what's the lady that was leading the singing up here praying? Tanya. Tanya was saying that um, and sometimes it feels like just bad things keep coming. How many of you know that's kind of like life sometimes, isn't it? Um, this morning, I want to talk about that. Matter of fact, the sermon is entitled this morning, When Tough Times Come. Um, how's that for timely? Um, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning there. I'm going to have three passages of Scripture. If you have your Bible, you'd like to go ahead and open 1 Peter chapter 4. We're beginning with verse 12. Just in opening, though, I'd like to say it seems to me that the way we think as humans is often kind of odd. Now, that doesn't come as a surprise if, you, if you're here this morning and you're human. Because you're probably surrounded by some people that you look at sometimes and say, boy, the way they think sure is odd. Um, I want to give you an example of what I mean by that. When something terrible happens to someone else, we often take it for granted. We think, we don't think it's strange that something difficult happens to other people we accept that as normal amen but when something happens to us that's a little bit difficult well then we always want to know why the universe is conspiring against us is God angry with me why would he let this happen to me Anybody here ever had those kind of thoughts? But the truth is that when we think about it rationally, we all know that bad things happen. And they happen to just about everybody. Matter of fact, you can say they do happen to everybody. Often there's no warning. Something you didn't expect hits you from your blind spot. And you suddenly find yourself on your backside looking at the stars and wondering, what happened? Maybe you went to a doctor and you heard the words that you hoped you never hear. 
Or maybe you, one day you're sitting with a loved one and the next day you're becoming accustomed to what it feels like to be alone. Bad things happen and they happen to everybody. But the question isn't whether or not bad things will happen. The, the question must be for us, how do we deal with the things that are tough in life? How do we approach them? Are we resigned to the fact that they will happen, but that we're guardedly careful about our attitude toward them? Because I'm going to tell you something. Attitude makes all the difference. But in a lot of places around the world, the bad things that happen to people like us happen because they've made a choice that runs counter to the culture they live in. It's a choice we take for granted sitting here this morning. See, they've made a choice to be Christians, and because of that choice, bad things happen to them. Now, we really don't understand what that's like. We've not really ever experienced that in the ways that some people do in the world. Oh, we may have, uh, we were talking about in Sunday school, we may have the times happen to us that whenever we let people know about what Christ has done for us in our lives, in our workplace, or the places, our neighborhoods, that we may get a little pushback. Some people may make fun of us and call us Bible thumpers or Christian hypocrites. That happens to us. But increasingly, it's not happening very often because the truth is Christians don't take a public stand very often. Now, y'all remember, there's some, I know there's some gray hairs here this morning. Quite a few of us are gray-headed, but we know that in times past, there was a, a very sharp line that delineated between Christians and those who weren't and the Christians took it to the world. Amen? You remember what that's like? We took a stand publicly, and, and if you didn't, then, then there was a question. Want to know, people, people want to know, why weren't you more upfront about being a servant of Christ? We don't do that as much anymore. I think the truth is, for a lot of us, we kind of go into hiding. Christianity is taking it on the chin a little bit in our society, isn't it? How many have been keeping up with what's happening just to our north in Canada? I tell you something, I, I, who would have thought we'd be here? I mean, I, I really can't even comprehend, and I've, I've been here the whole time. Some of you probably have too, amen. We can't hardly figure out how we got to the place where we are today. Who would have thought they would arrest pastors in Canada just for being open. I know there's mandates and people are afraid of being sick, and, and I understand that. But people still have a right to make choices, right? Maybe not. That could be coming to your neighborhood. And this morning, I just want to begin by, by maybe making a cautionary urge on those who are here this morning, you better be ready. 
because things may change for us in America. They are changing. But those are just some of the ways that tough times, we don't have to face persecution per se for us to face hard times. Hard times come. Life in a fallen world guarantees we're going to have difficult times in life. How will we deal with them? There are three places I want us to go this morning. Beginning with 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to think about this thought. God has a plan for your tough times, so submit to God's will. God has a plan for your tough times, so submit to God's will. Now, I know sometimes when we're living our lives, we have a tendency to believe that God gets caught by surprise. Amen? Uh, by the way, I'm not going to be scared if y'all say amen. You know, you can, you, I tell people, it's, you may wonder after the sermon why I ask you to do this, but I'm asking you this morning, when you're, when you're sitting here this morning, try to, you know, put on your thinking caps a little bit. And, and consider that God may have something he wants to say to you this morning. And if he is wanting to talk to you this morning, it will require your cooperation. That means with forethought, as we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to what God might say to you. So God has a plan for the tough times in your life. So we need to submit to his will, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 4 with verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, isn't that an unusual way to look at hard times? Peter says that when bad things happen to you, I want you to consider that you are joining in with the sufferings of Christ. Now, that's a different perspective for us. If you will this morning, it's kind of like in, a, it's in here at Greenwood Hills with the, the thing that's happened here we recognize this is not a, the best thing that could have happened. It's, we're all kind of mutually suffering with having to deal with rejection a little bit. Is that what it feels like? How many of you know Jesus was rejected? You're, you're not suffering with something that he isn't intimately aware of. And you can take this opportunity to say, Lord, you know about these feelings I'm feeling. I know that it's a pretty minimal kind of way for me to join in with your sufferings, but Lord, I recognize you've called me to submit to this area in my life. To say, this is like it's coming from your hand. You'll use this for some good. So Lord, I'm going to join in with the sufferings of Christ in this area in my life. If you do that, I can promise you one thing. It will give you a different perspective. Because you will know that when you enter into suffering, 
there's not an end to that just because you've entered into suffering. It's not the end. God has control of the end of your suffering. And there's a reason for you to rejoice. Doesn't feel like it at the time. If ye be, verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part, on those part of the people who reproach you, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a minister, I mean as a murderer, or as a minister. <laughs> none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that to obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So God has a plan for your tough times. So submit to his will. In facing hard times, as disciples of Christ, we must accept the example Jesus gave us as a pattern for us to follow. Jesus has made sure that in giving us the word, he gave us a pattern of how to suffer. In Isaiah, we see in, I think it's chapter 52 of Isaiah, it's just, he's described as a lamb led to slaughter. As a sheep led to the shears. He didn't open his mouth. There's no complaining, amen? Let me ask you a question. When you complain... You might feel better for a minute or two. Everybody likes to let off a little steam. Amen? How many times do you think when you complain and you feel better, other people are edified? Amen? That last verse there, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. Watch what you do. As you suffer, as you deal with tough times, you have an audience. It's the way you respond to hard times in your life causing spiritual growth in those around you, or is it a damper on their spiritual life? Amen? You have a responsibility. God didn't say, I'm going to put them in there and leave them alone and, well, whatever happens, happens. No, he says, listen, you may put, be put in the roasting pot for a little bit, but I want you to understand something. I'm there with you. And if you'll let me, I'll use you there to make a difference in other people's lives. They're watching you. Amen. And if you were impressive to other people in the way you lived your life, you wouldn't have enough pews to hold them. 
That's what you're supposed to say. Amen. Come on. Isn't that what's really happening? The church has lost its place. It's, it's witness to a lost world. You think they're not hungry? You think they don't want something better than they have? But where are they looking for it? In drugs. In sex. And all the cheap things that this world has to offer because the church isn't giving them the goods they need. And a lot of that is just plain old our witness is lacking. The sad thing about living in a place like America is that we have it so good, nobody ever has to see our light in the darkness. We can just live on and nobody notices. Why does a church grow when it's persecuted? good question isn't it it's a good question <clears throat> Peter says make sure we aren't facing hard times because of our own failures <clears throat> by the way you know I, I think sometimes the church has a hard time here <clears throat> people don't like to connect dots in their life you ever notice that I mean they'll do something that messes up their life and then later on when they reap the benefit the rewards of what they did they don't connect the two amen uh, my my wife left me I can't always say I can't always make well it's because you're a jerk that's the reason she left you we wonder why she stayed so long Amen? You don't connect the dots. And we don't call anybody to connect the dots in their life. Listen, the truth is, the wages of sin is always death. It's death of relationships. It's death of opportunity. It's death. When you mess around with sin, you're going to pay a price. And I'm not talking about that Christ can, that saves you. On, he does. But I'm going to tell you something. You have you catch AIDS, you may get saved. Doesn't mean you'll get cured. You may die of AIDS anyway. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. You mess up in life. You may get saved, but you might go to jail anyway. Amen? If you're a thief and they catch you, you get saved. Doesn't mean God will deliver you from the jail. Connect the dots in your life. That's how God will answer your need in life. He'll show you where you've messed up so you don't do it again. It's called experience, amen? We need to have experience as living in Christians. We, that means you're always checking to see. Am I doing something that's going to have consequences down the road that I'll have to pay a price for? Peter says, don't suffer because you're a jerk and you mess up. By the way, when that happens, it's called justice. You get what you deserve. Amen? And then I mentioned there, finally in verse 19, continue to be faithful through your hardship. 
don't forget that those around you need your Christian influence. And by the way, I'm at the age now, I just turned 70 two days ago. I know you look at me and you go, impossible. God doesn't look a day over 69. Do you know what I've begun to feel inside of me a desire for? Grace to die. Explain what that means. When I come down to the end of my life, I want God's grace to be evident in my life. I want people to see me go through that final trial with the glory of God on my face and joy still in my heart and peace in my mind. Because I know God wants that for me. And I don't want to be ill-prepared, so I've begun praying for it. Amen? Now, I don't mean I hope I'll go tomorrow. If you'll let me, I'll stick around for a while. But I'm beginning to look forward to being in heaven. Amen? This old world holds less and less for me every day, just about. But let me, let go, let's go on. Turn to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Look at the first five verses, Romans chapter 5. Some of you may know this just about by heart. Now, listen to this, this point. Because of tough times, there should be a natural progression that leads to maturity as a Christian. Now, I want you to hear this. Because of hard times in your life as a Christian, there should be a progression that leads to maturity. Because of hard times. No, surely God uses the mountain experiences to teach me how to become like Christ. Really? Tell me where that's worked for you. If I were to ask you this morning to name two or three of the hardest times in your life, I'll bet you every one of you could come up with them pretty quick. You know why? You don't forget them easily. Because they make impacts on you. God knows that. And God wants to use the hard times in your life to temper you, to make you more like Jesus. Look at these. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through, Jesus, through, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in the best times of life. What, does your Bible say something different? Somebody's shaking their head at me. No, we glory in tribulation. How many of you this morning say, Pastor Mark, 
Tribulation is one of my favorite things. Man, I love tribulation. Well, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I recognize that tribulation is an amazing thing when God allows it in my life. So I glory in it. I'll bet you there aren't many of us who can say that this morning. But it's right there in your Bible. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I want to mention a couple things here. We have peace with, with God because We've been justified by our faith in the finished work of Christ. We have peace with God because we have been justified by our faith in the finished work of Christ. Is that how you began your walk with Jesus? If you tell me you began another way, I'm going to tell you, you don't know what you're talking about. Because what you have to have faith in is that Jesus Christ made it possible for your relationship with God to be reestablished. If he doesn't do that, you can never have a right relationship with God. But he sent his son to die on a cruel cross because you deserved it. And he did it on your, in your stead. That's where it begins. So... By faith, we've been justified because of what Jesus did. That's where we are. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the next place. I love this next part of the verse. Because of this same faith, we're able to stand in the grace of God. Now, what is grace? Somebody give it to me. Unmerited favor. Let me ask the question, what's mercy? Unmerited favor. So there's no difference between mercy and grace? Well, of course there is. I told you you have to think this morning, amen? Some of you are saying, boy, I need more cup of coffee if I'm going to do this. Well, mercy is much more of a, a, a good definition for mercy is unmerited favor, not so much grace. Yes, grace is unmerited, and it certainly is a favor, but it's a lot more than just an undeserved favor. Bill Gothard, I don't know if any of you know who he is, he had a definition for grace that I really like. He said this, grace is the desire and the power to do the will of God. Ooh, now, don't, don't, you can't just nod your head at that. You better, you're going to have to chew on that a little bit. Grace is the desire to do God's will. How many of you know you will never want to do God's will in and of yourself? In your fallen state, that would never happen because what you are is you're a slave to sin. If God doesn't do something to you, you're a slave to sin. So we stand in this grace. What is this grace? God-given desire to do his will. When I became a Christian, something happened radically different in my life. Suddenly, I wanted to please him. 
Where'd that come from? God's grace in my life. God said, you have accepted by faith what Christ did for you. I've applied his blood to your life. You're cleansed. Now I'm going to give you a measure of grace so you'll want to be his disciple. This is what I found out. I can't. He's given me this desire, and I can't do it. Oh, but wait, I'm standing in grace. God said, not only will I give you the desire to do it, I'm going to empower you to do it. See, that's grace. <laughs> you can't do it, but God's grace. God gives you this, the desire to please him and then gives you the ability to. Because you can't do it of yourself. If you're trying to live a good life, let me tell you, God is not pleased with that because he's not pleased by your ability. He's pleased by his ability working through you. That's what pleases God. Do you know what Jesus did when he came to earth? Jesus did not come to earth to live a good life. He came for one reason. He didn't come to provide salvation for you. Did you know that? He didn't come for that. Jesus told us why he came. I have come to do the will of my Father, nothing else. Whatever it was, that's what I do. I do his will. I don't do anything else. Anything you've seen me do, it's the Father doing. It's not me. It's his. Are you going to be different? How are you going to please him by doing what you think is right? Really, that's, that's going to work for you? Let me tell you, until you know him, what makes him, what pleases him, until his spirit inhabits you, you will never be able to please him. Most of us have spent our life trying. And I'm not here to throw rocks at people who try to live good lives. I'm a lot more thankful for that than I am people who don't. Amen? But spiritually speaking, you need the ability of, to live the, Holy, uh, the life that only God can give you the ability to do. You have to have his grace in your life. And Paul says, we stand in this grace because of the same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a grace that, that enables us to live a life pleasing to him. But let's go on. Because of this same faith, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, we're going to come back to this a little bit in a few moments, but I want you just to think about what it means to, to live in hope of the glory of God. What is this hope? I believe that it's something that truthfully we only have a hope for because we can't even begin to describe what it is we have a hope for. By the way, um, what is it whenever, whenever you see something and it becomes your reality? Do you have hope for that? No, you don't because you, you have to have hope for something that you haven't seen yet, right? You have hope for what you haven't seen. God's great end-time fulfillment, whatever that looks like. By the way, none of you have any clue what heaven's going to be like. When the Bible describes it, it's using words. Nobody has words to describe what God has planned for us. Let me tell you what glory is. I can't even begin to describe what God's glory is. I just know that one of these days, 
He's going to bring me into his presence and I'm going to experience what I can't tell you about. <laughs> I don't have any words to describe what, what's waiting for us. But it's out there, amen? It's out there. God's wonderful glory, his presence. A glory so amazing it would kill us if we went into it in this fallen state. What an amazing. But here's the point I wanted in these five verses. God's progress for our maturing as followers of Christ. There's a process here. It begins with tribulation. We face hard times. Now, as Christians, what we have to understand about hard times is God is the answer for our hard times, not our abilities, not our endeavors. Sometimes people work really hard to try to get out of hard times and dig a deep pit for themselves. Amen? Because you don't really know what the hard times, where they're going to take you. But God does. And so what you do when you face hard times, you entrust them to God. And you wait for God to move. Amen? Because God has answers for your difficulties. And so you wait. What is waiting? What's required if you wait? It's the P word. Patience. How many of you tr pray for patience? How do you get patience? Face tribulation. How many of you still are paying for patience? Amen, you should be. Patience is a good thing, isn't it? Isn't it a precious gift that God gives us, patience? Wouldn't we want the best things God has for us? God says the way you get to patience is you go through tribulation and you learn to wait for me because when you wait for me, I will move in my own time according to my plan. And when I do that, you will gain experience. You went through tribulation. You found out that if you waited patiently for God, he would move. And then as God moves, you see what he does. You gain experience. What do you know? God's faithful. Amen? Whenever you go through tribulation and you gain patience, and then you have experience of God's faithfulness, what does it do? It causes hope. Why? If God did it before... He'll do it again. You see the process here? Tribulation, patience, experience, hope. That's a great process. And by the way, you think, well, why do I have to go through that? Let me give you a verse. Jesus learned obedience learned obedience from the things he suffered he did what does that mean it means that when God called him to obey in the flesh and how do we know he's fully man he was fully flesh he knew what it was like to live in these shells like we do and he, he found out that obedience causes suffering 
You're running contrary to the world when you obey God. You're never going to be in conformity to the world because he's called you as an obedient servant to be in conflict with the world. Jesus said, if they hated me, if the world hated me, they'll hate you. Jesus suffered. Why? Because he was obedient. So will you. But God's there. Aren't you glad he's there? Oh, man, I got another whole thing to do. See what happens when you have a fill-in pastor? You can't vote me out. <laughs> it's great. I just keep talking. Some of you, some of you leave because they can't stand preaching. That's what I found out in Sunday school. Isn't that right? Sometimes. Well, I want to take you to one other place real quick. This is Philippians chapter 3. A few verses here. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Another real famous passage here. Tough times teach us about who Jesus is, and they also teach us a lot more about ourselves. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi again, verse 7, chapter 3, Philippians. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the, fellowships, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We used to sing a song, Jesus, Jesus is all the world. Wait, no, he isn't. I forgot, there's a couple other things I, I want to hold on to here. This is another place where the church says, amen. Because we're holding on to other things, aren't we? There are lots of things that in our lives we kind of want to hold on to whenever in our quietest moments when we are alone with God, God says to us, you need to let go of that. This is in conflict with what I want for you, and you need to let go of that. This is the Lenten season. A lot of times people in the Lenten season, they'll give up something for Lent. Y'all know about that? Ever heard of that? Going to give up sugar. Yeah, we give up sugar. Yeah, it's going to be a strong spiritual statement. I'm going to give up sugar. Really? That's it, huh? What about that little secret sin? Maybe nobody knows about it. But you know about it. And he knows about it. But you know what Paul did? <laughs> Paul went a long farther than that. He looked at everything the world could possibly offer him, acclaim, position, 
everything that the world could possibly offer him. And he said, it's all garbage. There's not anything worthwhile that it can give me. I, would, I want to get rid of every bit of that because the only thing I really want is Jesus. I just want him. I want more of him. I must know him in every way that I can know him. Is that your desire this morning? Because that's the heart of a disciple of Christ. Remember when the disciples are following Jesus and Jesus has the encounter with the rich young ruler. And one of the gospels, the disciples say, well, you've got to give up everything. You've got to give up the riches. Well, who can be saved? Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. And Peter says, well, you know, we gave up everything. To follow you and they did they left their boats and their nets up there on the shore and they just walked off and followed Jesus what would that look like in your life what would it look like if you just left this world and everything in it and you just resolutely set your face toward Christ-likeness, and you forsook the world and you chased Jesus. Your life would look different, wouldn't it? Do you think that's for special people? Just a select few like preachers or evangelists? Maybe if you really have a holy Sunday school teacher? Come on. Or is it a closet call for all of us. It's one that catches everybody. Jesus threw a big net and he said something really ridiculous like, all the world. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That includes almost everybody here. Can I, I just want to urge you, I'm, I'm through because I know I've run over, but one of the problems with the church today is that they only know Jesus as the Savior. And he is, he's the Savior, he died for me. He paid a substitutionary death on the cross so that I could be free of my guilt. But that's only part of Jesus. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him as the resurrected Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not the man on the cross. Oh, I, I, I need him. But that was the beginning because Jesus is alive. He's alive, and he's calling us to follow him in this world, in your world, in my world. Do you know him? Are you satisfied with the way you know him? Or are you like Paul who could say, I have not already attained?
but I, I keep pressing toward this desire of wanting to know more about Jesus. I want to know him in every way that I can. Is that what burns in your heart? Do your loved ones, do those around you know that's what motivates you to live the life you live? And if not, what does it say about your real desires? I'm not talking about ones you talk about at church, but I'm talking about the ones that you put on exhibition when you leave church and you go out and you live your life. Because that's the one, that's, that's, the, that's the witness that people are seeing. And they say, you must not really want Jesus in his fullness because he's different than you are. Amen. I'm with Paul. I haven't already attained this, not by a long shot. But it's what I want. It's my desire. I want to be like him. Day by day, moment by moment, my desire is to let him pattern my life after the one who gave himself for me. That's what I want. And I trust it's what you want. Let's stand. Is there a song? Okay. I'm going to uh, open the altar. I don't do this often, but I feel like the Spirit is just saying, make him let people know they can come. I know we've run over, but God wants to speak if you have a need. He wants to help you. So I'm going to just wait a moment, and then we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're faithful. What would we do if you failed us, if we couldn't count on you? But no matter where we are in life or no matter what is happening in our life, when we cry out to you, you hear us and you respond. And for every need that we have, you're the answer for that need. When you said, Tell them, I am sent you. You let us fill in the blank after I am. Whatever it was we needed, you're the answer for our need. So, Father, this morning we just ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd help us. You know what we need. You know where we're at in life. And you know the things that are in conflict with the life you've chosen for us. And so, Father, this morning we just ask, have your way. I pray, Lord, that in every heart here, your spirit would move and direct and guide and maybe urge. But whatever your leading is, Father, we just pray that you'd have your way, that your will would be expressed in the life you've given us to live. I thank you for this church, and I pray that you'd bless it, that you would help it to be the church you've called it to be in this place in High Point, North Carolina. We thank you, Father, that you are faithful again. You will meet our needs. 
In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go in the strength and the power of God's Spirit. Amen.